Welcome to GERT, conversations about architecture, entrepreneurship and life. We are proud to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, to recognise their ongoing connection to country, land and waters that were never ceded, and to pay our respect to Elders, past and present. Your hosts are Monique Woodward, Director of Wawawa Architecture, Mother to Cleo, Recording on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne, and Nick Brunson, Principal and Creative Director of Nick Brunson, Father to Bo and Minnie, who's in Perth recording on Wajuk Nunga Buja. Mon and Nick are celebrated industry thought leaders. Both have won the Australian Institute of Architects National Emerging Architect Prize and are Dulux Study Tour Prize winners. They bring candour and vulnerability to conversations about creativity and personal expansion. Please enjoy. Welcome, Andrew. Andrew Davies. We um, are so excited to have you. You're our first real guest. Uh, Dave Sharp was our, you know, was our friend um, who was episode one, Andrew's episode two, and we couldn't be more excited. Um, Andrew is uh, the CEO of B-Lab or B-Corp, as we always say. Um, you started that position in 2019 um, and we met at a um, Melbourne Design Week uh, discussion panel and I fell in love. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, lovely to talk to you. And, um, yes, I'm the CEO of uh, B-Lab Australia and Aotearoa New Zealand. So we operate as a global network of different regions and I have the good fortune to look after this part of the world and um, get to interact with the B Corp community. They're a pretty amazing community of businesses. Okay, so, Andrew, uh, a lot of architects are really curious about B Corp and what it is. Um, in your words, what's the go? Sure. So yeah, I do a different version of this every time I speak about it. But look, the simplest way um, to explain B Corps is that they're businesses that meet the highest standards of social and environmental performance. So they focus on measuring and managing, managing their impact as a holistic capture. So they look across their environmental impact, their community impact, um, their workers, suppliers, and they adopt governance models designed to hold themselves to account. So sometimes we talk a little bit about certifications like uh, organic or fair trade, which are really um, important certifications that tend to focus on a product. Uh, we think about fair trade certification as really look, giving comfort around the um, the way in which some raw materials, for coffee or chocolate, have been purchased from from um, farmers, and it gives us comfort that they've um, been paid a reasonable price and that the supply chain is is appropriately managed. Think of B Corp as a holistic capture for the entire business, so it doesn't just look at one product or one aspect of supply chain, but it looks across all aspects of a business's operations as well as its business model. The other element to understand is that it's an incredibly high performance bar. So really what we exist to do is to identify and validate the highest performers in terms of that social and environmental performance as a business. Um, our, our, our most simple way to capture what we do is that we want to highlight those highest performers so that others um, can follow in their footsteps. And, um, you know, I think that architects... Uh, in, inherently are interested in B Corp because I think that we do consider ourselves to be these like champions for what's good in the world. And, um, you know, I think that uh, architects find it very seductive, uh, the idea of purpose-driven business. Um, and I think that really there has been this like shift in, um, in the profession from seeing ourselves as um, 
you know, as almost a, just a service or, or, you know, a vocation. And then there has been this sort of shift to see ourselves as being entrepreneurs and to being people that, um, that have agency and that, you know, our businesses can be this force for good. And so I think that that's why so many people now are really excited about B Corp. And I think, uh, you know, because I think there's only five architects that are um, B Corp certified at the minute, five or six. In our region, yeah. Um, and we've sent a couple of developers and construction companies come through as well. And I think, Mon, there's something in the nature of the business as well that is inherently a fairly long-term perspective that, that creates uh, a strong values alignment around this idea of, you know, business should have a positive impact. Um, I think that businesses that are focused on creating anything, but particularly creating um, infrastructure or the built environment that's going to be around for a long time, have a sense of um, accountability for their actions because their actions tend to quite often even outlive them. I think that inherently creates a sort of long-term perspective. And a lot of the work that we do can also be captured by this idea of, of simply taking a long-term perspective on business so much of the harm that business causes, I think, can be tied back, at least in part, to short-termism, to this idea that we're chasing a particular outcome on a on a cycle or a quarterly number is, is, is the sort of root cause of some pretty poor decision-making. So for me, that long-term perspective inherent in, in architectural practice is, is likely to contribute to that sort of values alignment as well. That's um that's perfect uh, tie-in. I've just been reading a book called um uh, you probably know all about the the Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Huge fan, indeed. Um, <laughs> my, my team constantly teases me for how often I uh, like to reference Sinek's Infinite Game. I love the opening par- the, the sort of opening framing of that book is, uh, you know, and I'm not doing it justice, but imagine you're walking down a road and you come to the the classic fork in the road, and one sign points towards victory and the other sign points towards fulfilment. Um, which which road do you take? And I think there's this lovely disconnect that most of us would say, oh, well, look, I'm going to go for fulfilment. That's that's what we're about. But then when you actually look at how much of our actions in business are focused on achieving victory, there's this fundamental disconnect between how we think we behave and how we actually behave. And when you see a disconnect like that, you need systems, you need ways to try and, you know, address that fundamental disconnect. It, it's so simplistic to think that, bad business outcomes happen because bad people in business are looking to create bad outcomes. It's not like that at all. The fact is that there's all these um, overt and sort of hidden or subtle pressures, I guess, on people in business to create bad outcomes. Very few people enter into business specifically looking to take advantage or cause harm. Sorry, I, I just, I love that book. I think that no, no, we could I probably think, stop I think talking it's... here and say, just go read that book. I know, absolutely. I, well, we're, the whole time you were talking, then I was thinking about how it actually completely relates as well to just everything in life, like relationships and how you sort of build that through interpersonal stuff and you know, I remember someone saying to me once about uh, in in a marriage you can either be right or be happy, and I think that that's um, like it's almost exactly the same thing with that thinking. It's like you know, I, do you want to win the battle or do you want to win you know the long game? You know, this is you know a, a relationship in a marriage or whatever it is becomes it's it's the infinite game. It's like we're here mm-hmm. to go through this to the end, and you know, the more you try and win those little wars, the more you actually end up losing the battle. And that's um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just kind of think that there's just so much sort of transferable knowledge. From, you know, we can talk very specifically about big B Corps and architecture and, you know, kind of doing good work. But I don't know, there's just there's just so much more where it's applicable to, you know, I guess 
big picture thinking and you know sustainability of not just businesses but of you know economies and the world and environments and all of that. Well, that that idea as well of of what is an infinite game is an important concept, and Sinek explains it really well. But you, you're playing a finite game if you're playing a game of tennis or football. There's rules and there's outcomes usually defined by a score. But if you're in an infinite game um, where ultimately there will be no final victor, the key concept is that you've got to understand um, you're in service of the game. You need to advance the game as a whole. Um, otherwise, you end up losing. Everybody loses if the game collapses. Um, and, and it's a difficult concept in many respects because in business we are at times motivated by being the best or outperforming someone down the road, and sometimes that can be an incredibly healthy um, uh, approach to take, that sense of I think the cynic talks about a worthy rival in business um, It really encourages us to perform better. That's, that's a really important incentive element of, of our capitalist system. But at the same time, you have to recognise that to simply beat your competitor on a particular, um, even if it's just a tender or a simple process, that might be an important step in improving your business, but that's not the point of the game. Well, I also like the, the comment that it's, um, you know, as soon as you start looking towards your competition or your rivals, you start taking your eyes off what actually you can do in service of the world and how you can actually make yourself, you know, unique or special or, you know, reinvent the way you do things because then you become really kind of opposition-focused rather than just outcome-focused, which, yeah, to me is a was a very, I don't know, one of those kind of ping moments when you're reading you know for the for the people that are really competitive and I guess I you know I confess I am a very competitive person and so one of the um, reframes for me was to be like I'm going to be the most kind <laughs> I'm going to be the best leader and the best boss and the best um, you're, you're going to win at being kind I'm going to win at being kind and I'm going to outkind everyone <laughs> and, uh, you know and I think um I mean obviously we're all sick of fans um but you know that idea that you don't sort of fire your family and that you are creating this beautiful um work family and this bit you know that your team um uh, you know, if they're struggling, then that's actually, um, you know, rather than firing that person, like you need to give them support and um, agency and unpack what is making them thrive or what could make them thrive. And I don't know, I love that sort of um, the personal agency. And I guess that's one of the, um, you know, the, the B Corp parameters actually do kind of go, how many, how, what's your turnover like? Because if you are sort of turning over people really rapidly, there's sort of something fundamentally wrong. Well, and more so as well, just like that it's sort of certifying what you're doing and where you're going rather than like accolades or, you know, because as an industry or as any industry, and I know, again, this is where I confess, you know, you get so kind of like caught up with a look at all the things I've got on my wall, like, look, mum, look what I did. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it can be such a, an unfulfilling, you know, chase. Um, and that, you know, that what I like about B Corp as well, it's, it's, it's this external validation of kind of, you know, someone outside, you know, as architects or as any industry, you kind of sit there saying, we're doing good, we're trying to do good, these are the things we care about. But until someone outside of yourself comes and says, yes, you know, like we validate this enterprise or this, approach or this kind of way of thinking about doing things, it's like it's really just marketing speak up to that point. 
Yeah, look, I, I, that's a great chance for me. I should get the inevitable um, plug-in at some stage. So the, the B Impact Assessment is our main platform for any business to use. It's free of charge. And effectively, it's like a giant questionnaire that allows you to benchmark yourself against our standards. And a business is awarded points for positive alignment with those standards. So there's no kind of you lose points for this, you gain points for that. You only gain points for being aligned with our standards. And those standards are adaptive to different industries and sizes of business and so on. But that assessment, you can use that as a business simply to measure yourself and seek to improve how you're designed to have a positive impact. Whether or not you then even want to achieve certification is a separate conversation that you can have and figure out whether that's a valid pathway for you or whether it's going to even add any value for you. Yeah, well, so we, had, we had a really funny moment going through it where we kind of, you know, you had to reach the, reach the 80 benchmark and we were at 85 and we were like, hooray, we're amazing. And then we realised it was out of 200, not 100. And we're like, oh, my God, <laughs> there's so much further to go. <laughs> Yeah, look, it's it's and the, the two hundred is also a sort of fairly flexible cap in the sense that mm-hmm. technically, I think you could do more than two hundred points if you accessed a whole bunch of what we call impact business models. So the assessment looks at both your operations, um, and also it rewards businesses for having a particular aspect of their business that's designed to maybe solve a problem, whether to employ people from disadvantaged backgrounds or whether to provide services to disadvantaged people or to uh, recycle product or to reduce toxins in the environment. There's a whole bunch of what we call these impact business models and they're real accelerators. They're ways to really improve your score. So theoretically, the score can get quite high. Um, I think that in our country, I should know this number, but I think Australian Ethical has a higher score at about 156 points. Um, it is enormously challenging to get to that point. I think if you get over the 80-point benchmark, that's a huge achievement, really challenging. Most businesses land in that 50 to 60-point range. Um, when I applied for this job, actually, I had a, my own business and I put it through and I got about 40 points. Sometimes I wonder how I got the job. But it was, uh, yeah, it's a very challenging <laughs> assessment, but it's designed to really then, I think, help you identify where can you improve because any business has its blind spots, especially a small business that's evolved over time. There's parts of the questionnaire that you've probably never even thought about. And I think that's part of the value too, is that it forces you to just think about, well, I better, you know, think about some, whether it's people and culture practices or your environmental footprint, which is easy not to think about when you're a service-based business, leasing a premises, you don't tend to think too much about your environmental footprint. So, yeah, it's it's a good process for any business, even if that certification pathway is not for you. Sorry, Mon, do you mind if I jump in? Andrew, I just want to go back one step and use this as a good kind of jumping off point. You said, you know, you had your own business before you went for this. Um, tell us about yourself. Like what's what's your background? What why why do you care about this? Why is this important? Why did you want this job? Why did you align yourself with this mission? Yeah, and and I geez, I think it's tempting to to rewrite your history to 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 suit a narrative now. The oh, go on, do it. That's, that, that's the fun. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is that, like a lot of people's careers, my my career has been equal parts kind of good luck, healthy dose of privilege, and and some um, little bits of work along the way. But the I started off as a lawyer. Don't hold it against me. In corporate corporate law firm life in my early twenties, um, which was. An incredible learning environment, not but pretty quickly figured out that wasn't necessarily where I wanted to live my life. Um, I moved into corporate roles in a listed automotive business, um, but then I, I bounced off into a family business when my father-in-law 
became quite ill and, and what was going to be a short period of helping turned into 10 years of my life working with my wife, which was amazing in a small business environment. Um, we started a couple of businesses. We ended up in the golf industry as we had this golf course and events venue business um, and then um, sort of evolved from that into a couple of software distribution business that we started and all very strange stories. But ultimately I found myself um, moving out of that space and sold out of that business and was really just looking for a fresh start and started speaking to a whole lot of people in um, different investment sectors looking for new challenges, uh, uh, maybe a business to go in and try and improve and realised that I had this perspective across lots of different sizes and shapes of business. Um, and at the time it was sort of pretty clear to me that so many businesses were starting to think about how they can have a more positive impact. There was a growing zeitgeist, I guess, around the idea of what is the role of business and the responsibility of business and a series of, you know, Good, deep conversations got me in front of um, the board of B-Lab and I was really fortunate to be able to secure this job. And I've come with a brief of really working both on the movement but also our own business model, which has its challenges. Certification is a very challenging business model to run. Um, we do operate as a not-for-profit, but we're a trading entity. So we, we sell services. We don't really rely on donations. So it's a bit of a strange story around different pathways um, but it, it's just, I think, an incredible, fortunate series of events that put me in, in this position now at a time when so many people are actively having this conversation about the role of business. I mean, it's like the best story. It's like, you know, whenever anyone asks you, you know, about a career, you say, well, there's no careers don't run in straight lines. Careers run everywhere, all over the place. That's like the perfect example of that. And you worked at Darkside Marketing, is that right? Oh, it's dark. Dark made was my wife's my wife's oh, okay. business. Um, uh, dark side's a bit mysterious, isn't it? Um, I was like dark side come, marketing. Oh yeah, come to the dark side marketing. Who would who would retain them? Um, maybe can, the fossil fuel industry. I don't know. But it is. This is exactly um, because I was obviously giggling you this morning, <laughs> my, um, and at the same time looking at my Instagram and uh, the Guardian posted something today. Who are also a B Corp and. Um, they were, you know, the, the post was saying that the idea of, or the concept of carbon footprint was actually coined by an advertising firm working for British Petroleum. Um, yeah, and, that. you know, to, yeah, to shift the focus for, uh, for climate action onto individuals, um, you know, and I guess I sort of love that idea that actually that narrative was actually, you know, created. Um, and, you know, I guess then it allows us to see that there's a level of agency that we as individuals and individual businesses can sort of counter that because it was sort of um, manipulated or, you know, it was a manifestation of their own propaganda machine in the first place. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it's amazing, isn't it? Because there's there's something really positive in that in terms of also a message of being accountable for your carbon footprint, even if it was created with a sense of deflection. Um, perhaps it's not ultimately been a bad thing because, you know, to me, you talk about agency. I mean, there's a there's a really important question about the role of business um, and that that sense of 
someone recently I, I read described business, uh, the sort of modern corporation as the world's greatest creation in artificial intelligence because a corporation can own property, can sue someone and be sued. Um, they have all the rights and privileges of, of, of a person in some respects, yet they have no brain. Um and yet they behave and, and we often say, oh, you know, a business did that or a company did that as if it is it's a sentient being. The reality is that um, the responsibilities and role of business is a really important conversation. And really since good old Milton Friedman wrote in the New York um, Times 50 years ago late last year that the role of business was to drive returns for shareholders or the social responsibility of business was to drive profits, it's been the kind of you know, source code error in modern capitalism because it's what we rely on to justify so much poor behaviour. The reality is it's people in business. We do need to be accountable. We do need to really see that we have agency, yet we we, we subcontract that out to, to companies even as we, as we run them ourselves all the time. So I think it is interesting how mm-hmm. that, that conversation about environmental impact has been switched to one of um, accountability but that comes back to people and somehow it again skips the corporation. It's a really, I don't know, I've, I've maybe taken that too far, but I think it is a really important question, this, this sense of who, who's accountable. Is it people or business? The reality is businesses are just made up of people. I really, I really like get, that. I think it's, it reminds me of a quote about, um, about traffic where they say you're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. And yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like the same with this. It's like, you know, you're not... You're not in a business, you are the business, you know. It does, there's, there's that kind of that arm's length that you can play because, of the, as you said, the kind of the, the corporate structure and the way the whole thing's set up is this kind of arm's length distance. But it's like every person is actually responsible for their actions of their tiny little piece of whether it's in large corporations or their larger pieces in smaller corporations of what they do and their impact of, you know, what that actually is and, and the, the on-flow. Absolutely. And I think this sense of, um, you know, we're, we're at a pretty significant moment where we're living through really a triple crisis. We've, we've got a pandemic, a climate crisis and a, and a growing crisis of inequality globally that is starting to have real impact as well. Unfortunately, the, the, the sort of inequality crisis and the climate crisis are a little bit slower moving, so they're harder to, to see as clearly as the pandemic has been. But in times of crisis, you also see massive change and we are going through, I think, a pretty fundamental change and part of it is around the role of business. The sort of capitalist system that we live in is, is so far the, the, what is it, the least worst option we've found to drive innovation and to allocate, um, you know, scarcity across um, complex systems. It has a lot of positive aspects to it. I'm, I'm a part of it. I've been a part of it my whole working career um, and I'm certainly not anti it, but the reality is it has to evolve because extractive capitalism has been the cause of so much harm and continues to be. But we are living through a moment where some of those root cause aspects have really been questioned. And that's exciting. Like that to me is coming back to sort of you asking, you know, why do I do the work I do? Part of it is because I'm lucky I get to, but part of it is because I think I love the idea of being a part of a pretty fundamental change and the opportunity in front of us to reshape business um, to to work our way out of a lot of these challenges is enormously exciting. And I guess is in line with the third industrial revolution as well, right, which I think is, you know, that's huge for architects moving into that 
um, space. I mean, for, you know, for us, it was around getting our house in order. Um, you know, Wawa became B Corp certified in 2018. It took us a year of work to actually get to that place where we um, have someone working probably one day a week for a year um, just to get all of that documentation, <clears throat> all of those, uh, you know, processes in place. And, um, you know, for us, that, that was a huge achievement and really meant meant a lot because I guess moving then into the pandemic, it sort of allowed us to have this very solid foundation of, uh, you know, a purpose-based business. And so um, when, you know, I mean, we're in Melbourne right now, there's another lockdown. Um, I think having that B Corp um, certification just really helped frame all of the decisions that we made and all of the, um, uh, you know, team activities and the, the optimism that I guess we still have within our team because, it feels as though, you know, the only thing, um, you know, that we've got all of this sort of backing behind us that feels like it's, um, you know, a force for good, um, you know, rather than, you know, the reason that you're detailing this particular um, building is just for profit or something, you know, like when we're, um, you know, I always say that when everyone's working remotely and we're trying to detail, say, a, a balustrade, um, for example, that, you know, that even the B Corp, uh, you know, the values of the practice really play out in that way because um, the person making that decision is going to be saying, well, you know, it needs to be made out of a sustainable material, it needs to be fun, it needs to be colourful and, you know, it needs to kind of, you know, resonate and be contextual and, um, you know, hopefully be, um, so, you know, sourced from Melbourne because we've had a lot of supply issues with people, you know, even materials mm. coming from Sydney, like down on a truck have been really challenging to to get uh, to get in projects, we have a lot of you know huge delays at the minute with with materials from interstates, and so um, you know it became really easy for us to make um, for the team to make decisions when they're all working remotely, and I think that's it's so valuable. Yeah, and I think yeah. it, for for us it becomes sorry, Andrew, it becomes almost like a recursive loop. It's like once you step into it, it makes everything so much easier because you're like, well, you know, what have we what are we aligning ourselves to? What are we trying to do? You know, and it sort of re-emphasizes the things that you think you care about because it you goes, yes, you should care about these things. But also it opens up new ideas and new things that you hadn't thought about before. And go, well, yes, that's a that's something I've always been interested in. And maybe we should actually make that part of our business going forward. And you know, that actually kind of takes that decision off the table. So that's really nice and easy and so on and so forth. Um and yeah, I've I've just found it like anything, you know, Mon, um, or you know, it's it's like in architecture, you don't want to you don't want a brief that's like an unlimited budget and a virgin site, and you know a client that will say yes to everything. You actually want like restrictions because restrictions create opportunities. So you know, like the the less we have to think about, the better we can be at the things we do do. Yeah, and I think that um, again, it, it, I've talked about shareholder primacy and Friedman before. There is an antidote to that, and that's stakeholder governance in the in, in an approach to business and and mon what you're really talking about there as i hear it is is it's a really strong awareness of who your stakeholders are and in a small services business obviously staff are going to be hugely high up that list but in times of crisis um, your construction partners and their supply chains suddenly become quite important to you and just having that that awareness within the business that our stakeholders matter and we need to think about them is kind of what we're talking about. And shareholders are, of course, another stakeholder. It's crucial that business derives financial returns because that's what really creates the capital to make it all happen. But to think of profit as the outcome is, is crazy because, of course, it's an outcome. And I love to come back to Sinek, his framing is that, you know, profit is the fuel that drives purpose. It's not the outcome. Yeah, and 
and in a way, highly profitable it's, business is important. Yeah, in a way, the way I've been thinking about it now is that rather than profit being an outcome, it's an input. It's like the profit becomes the input that lets you do the things you want to do. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's that sort of approach to thinking about stakeholders is probably a nice way to capture. You know, what's the what's the outcome of something like a B Corp model is that it's a really strong awareness um, of those stakeholders, and as you grow into bigger business, it's the you know the governance models behind that are really quite important. How do you? Most boards of, of large public companies now are actually already having these conversations about environmental impact and climate risk and impact on their employees. But how do you bake, actually bake that in so that those conversations are always present, not just present when there's a particular issue to to address? That's the uh, the other conversation we're really interested in in taking, um, particularly to bigger business and saying, hey, we've got to bake this stuff in. We've got to make this stuff sufficiently long-term that it's not just the current CEO's perspective um, or a current management perspective. It, it actually is baked into the DNA of the business. So that's another conversation that I think is important to bring to big business. Happens again more naturally in, in smaller, particularly architectural practices that are so reliant on those internal teams to really work as, as, a, as a whole but my favourite thing about, um, you know, about B Corp is that it does actually translate to, you know, small, medium and large scale practices. So CHC are, you know, like a million people, I don't know, maybe 150 people or something like that, um, and they're certified and, you know, Kozlov are, um, you know, 40 or something and, you know, we're uh, 13. So, you know, I love that it kind of translates. I mean, that's so small compared to like other huge, huge businesses, um, you know, globally, but, um, yeah, it, I just sort of feel as though so much, so many of the, um, of architects problems would actually be solved if everyone was B Corp. Um, and that there's really no excuse because, um, you know, it does translate and it's not about scale. It's about the willingness to sort of step up to that plate and, um, you know, and, and proclaim that people, planet and purpose are all equally important. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Look, I think it's, it's, it, there's certainly a great values alignment there. And as I said at the start, I think it also comes down to that long-term perspective. Um, but I think any business that's employing people, we, we find that businesses are just coming to us saying, look, since I got certified, you know, demand's really gone up in terms of people wanting to work for me, especially, as you said, at that larger end of town as well. Mm. I reckon oh, I've got a question, Andrew, which is we're all talking about the, I guess, the, the value of B Corp and certification and, you know, the way that we think, um, well, what it's done sort of to the present. But uh, you must be seeing, you know, lots of businesses, as you said, of different um, sizes and scales and industries coming through. Like, uh, this is a really big question. Like, are you, what, what, uh, what, Brace yourself. What, I was about, yeah, I was about to say, where's the world going? But, um, more like, you know, what, what sort of, are you picking up on any trends or like, you know, what's, what's, what's changing? What's, what, or is anything changing? Or what are you, what are you seeing sure. that's kind of interesting in you? Or, you know, what's, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always, always like to kind of see what's coming or try and at least have a sense of the way things are moving. And, you know, I'm sure you've got great insight into that. Well, look, I think we are certainly seeing a real shift um, into larger legacy businesses 
um, talking to us. Uh, that's that's been a, a sort of evolving trend for the last few years. That's only accelerating. Bigger, more complex businesses, legacy businesses who are really recognising the need to do better. I think they've been pushed by innovators in their industry. Um, they've been pushed by um, customers or even in, in our country, particularly um, investors. The superannuation fund sector is pretty is rapidly increasing its expectation of performance of businesses around environmental, social and governance factors. And as those bigger businesses come, and it really, uh, I think, is um, exciting because you're seeing that larger impact necessarily from larger businesses having to lift their game. We, we have seen, I think, also some really interesting growing conversations in some very challenging sectors like fashion, which is notoriously um, high environmental footprint uh, as an industry, um, just due to the practices that have developed in recent years. It absolutely fascinates me how businesses like um, Zara not that, not that long ago were getting hugely celebrated for having this phenomenally um, fast uh, cycle for introducing whole new seasons and identifying customer trends so quickly and they could chuck out a season in six weeks and bring in another one if it wasn't selling. You know, and they did that by all sorts of innovation in their supply chain, but how quickly the conversations now shifted to, to slow fashion and reusing and mm. upcycling and mm. just thinking, you know, Patagonia's famous campaign, don't buy this jacket, um, this idea of what do we really need and what's the responsibility of players in the fashion sector to, to repair and, and reuse. Mm. That's, that's a really significant change in conversation that's happened pretty quickly. And the other big one in our region is definitely financial services um, that I think came off the, the some very poor practice that came out through a Royal Commission a few years ago. We've seen pretty strong interest from some great businesses in the financial services sector that are looking to, to get validation and to stand out and to say, hey, we're not all bad. Um, we've got some exciting news coming out of uh, Tarawa pretty pretty soon on a very large financial institution that's about to get certified, which is really exciting because when those organisations also go through change, they have a huge impact through their own customer base of many mm. small businesses. So I think it's that that the main message, I guess, there is this idea that bigger business is absolutely following the lead of small innovators, which is exciting. It validates the work of a lot of people. And I think architecturally that speaks to, you know, does the school need a whole new building or actually could we, you know, reuse, adaptive reuse, renovate this um, gym uh, to become something else or, you know, I, I think that um, that sort of uh, refurb of existing buildings and, um, you know, is, is in a similar vein to that and, um, you know, I guess. Uh, it's exactly the same thing. You've got this, you know, a massive internal infrastructure of existing buildings and saying instead of building a new business, let's just refurb the one we've got to be better suited to today's conditions. Yeah, and let's also build things that are designed to adapt over time rather than need to be um, pulled down and rebuilt. I, I, I have a passion here, a very inexpert one. I'm, I'm a good, lucky recipient of having worked with a, a firm called Kennedy Nolan a few years ago who helped rebuild, redesign our house. And what really struck me was um, uh, the principals of the firm, Patrick and Rachel, really looked at our family and, and approached it from the perspective of, you know, what are your needs as a family over time um, and how can we kind of meet the evolving needs of your family over that long time frame? And that just kind of blew me away because my inexpert view was let's talk about, you know, funky-looking windows and doors and, and, and room layouts rather than oh, you'll that get, You'll get that as well. 
<laughs> yeah, no, we did. We got some really funky things. Yeah, awesome. Um, so, um, <laughs> oh, no, I, I, reckon, I, reckon, I reckon there's more to go there, which is that um, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just now thinking about uh, David and Grace's Occupied exhibition, which was all about saying that I think there was something like 80% of the buildings we need for 2050 are already built. So the big question for the future is how do we reoccupy that that we've already got rather than, you know, there's all, you know, the things that fill magazines and all the new stuff that's, you know, bright and shiny and exciting. You know, the bigger, dirtier task is to make over, you know, the existing structures of today. And that's exactly what you're talking about with this, you know, these existing monoliths of business today are banks, you know, or the financial institutions are legal players, you know, all this got the construction industries. You know, it's, we've, you know, you can get new players like WoWoWire and, you know, other kind of small developers or whatever the industry is, small fashion players come up. But how do you actually not just be there as B Corp or, you know, how do we create a groundswell of people that actually start demanding change of those bigger, you know, structures that are already in place that actually can, you know, through through their economies of scale and their size can have such impact and actually just if, you know, you hit the right person and change the right things, then, you know, so much can actually change. The ripples are just huge. And then it yeah, is interesting think- that it's like top, it's bottom up and top down, right? So exactly. it's the superannuation yeah. companies that are coming in and um, or the super funds and that, you know, it's not sort of um, the, the intern going, hey, can I get paid, please? Absolutely. It could be a bit of both, though. You know, there's, it's, I don't know. I, I know that um, B Corp has done work with a, a large developer over here in WA, and I'm trying to work out who it was inside that developer that probably had those conversations. And, you know, it, it, was it top down or was it bottom up? And, you know, that, that sort of stuff is always, yeah, to me, fascinating. Well, we talk about a lot. I mean, the last few years, there's been a lot of talk about generational change and um, younger people working in business who have a very different perspective about the role of of work. Um, The difference is those people are now running, owning, starting, leading businesses. They're not just working in them. And I think that's seen a huge impact in terms of a pretty radically different expectation of work, um, really putting that personal fulfilment front and centre, not necessarily defined as advancement either, but a real deep connection to why is why does my work matter and why does this organization matter? That that sense of purpose has become really important. And I think just to react, Nick, to your point, it it this idea of innovation, we, we tend to look at innovation through a pretty narrow lens of of tech. You know, we look for tech companies to create a new piece of software or something that didn't exist before and call that innovation. But business model innovation um, is just as important and models like the Nightingale projects that have started, I think they started in Melbourne, but they've rolled out now all over Australia, really important and really challenging model to to, to sort of find new ways to think about um, property development and ownership while still creating a quality product. You know, that one really fascinated me and I know it's been really hard for the people that started that to find the right way to make that work within the pressures of a finance system that has certain rules and expectations around how property development is meant to work. And it's it's really significant to look to history a little bit here. Things like the, the 30-year mortgage, that was a financial innovation that came out of the Depression when so much homelessness in the Great Depression was caused by people at the time you had 12-month mortgages and you had to refinance every 12 months. And if you didn't have a job at the time that you were refinancing, you'd just get booted. And it wasn't necessarily because you couldn't afford the payments, but because you couldn't, you didn't have a job at the time, you were instantly out. 
And what one of the regulatory responses after the Great Depression was to create a couple of semi-government entities that could back securities for the long term that created this idea of a 30-year mortgage and completely changed home ownership um, and reduced the risk profile. Um, and, and those sort of innovations, they're not sexy, they're not exciting, they're not tech-based, but they're different ways that we work that fundamentally change the direction of society. And that's where I think there's some things happening in the moment with people rolling out different business models that usually are the ones that fail to start with, but they're the ones where we'll look back at time and think, hey, that was a really significant change. Like imagine if you could get all government departments to say that if, to be required to tender on these works or to be awarded a contract, you need B Corp sort of certification and a reconciliation action plan. Like, you know, that would be one of those things that, you know, unless you have those things, you're not getting these contracts and therefore everyone just skills up immediately and all that sort of, you know, you have to get that systemic change through, you know, through whatever industry it is. Well, low, low emission, I mean, lower emissions from cars only ever came in, I think, originally because the government in California set some standards and California was such a big market in the in the 80s for cars that car manufacturers said, okay, fine, we'll go and develop some mm. low emissions technologies. Um, so, yeah, look, innovation does come sometimes from some pretty clear government-led incentives, but we can't wait for government to act at the same time. No, I mean, it's got to be both. Yeah. Look, we're living at a time where companies can move capital across global markets and move into markets and solve problems at a rate that government couldn't even get near. We've got companies that have more cash than plenty of countries. It's quite staggering and on some levels terrifying, but at the same time, you think if that can be harnessed towards a positive impact, the ability to solve problems is pretty pretty incredible. And, look, I think that... Um, yeah, it's so interesting once you start looking at things like emissions too. I know that Bank Australia, for instance, and other B Corp are, are looking to try and think about what are the emissions created by the housing construction that they finance and how can they get involved in helping manage that. So that's kind of in uh, environmental world, that's kind of scope three emissions when you're really thinking about the indirect emissions that your business creates staggeringly complex area to start thinking about but it's so interesting to see leaders in business taking on that accountability um i think that yeah all all power to the people who are just trying to do things differently and and solve those problems that aren't just the ones they directly create i mean B, uh, brickworks came out today with their zero carbon um program so now architects can run all of their um, brick projects you know through that certification program um, and so I think that we are sort of seeing, um, you know, the industry leaders move um, in that direction. And, um, you know, we are now uh, chatting to suppliers and saying, yeah, we want you to, um, we want to, we want all of, of our, uh, you know, materials to be carbon neutral. Are you willing to do that for just for this project? And, you know, you need those kind of little um, starting uh, starting projects to actually kind of uh, allow them to see that there's traction and value in that and um, hopefully push everyone in the right direction, right? Yeah, there's a nice story from um, a B Corp in the Adelaide Hills, Unico Zello, who also have um, Applewood Distillery if you're more of a gin drinker. Um, they really had a passion for creating um, wine and spirits using um, Indigenous ingredients and very much loved the place that they were in, but they didn't own any land, a young couple, and they... Um, they therefore went to some grape growers in the area and said, hey, we want some, some grapes, but we want you to grow them this way or that way. And the growers were like, well, come back and talk to me when you're, when you're ordering, you know, sufficient tonnage that I'm actually going to pay attention to you. 
and that's what they did. They figured out they actually had to create growth in order to have the scale that they could then really work with um, the local growers. And they've had a massive impact there. They've, they've really helped work with local growers to change their practices, even though that's not their direct business. Um, and in order for them to get certified as a B Corp, they had to go back to their growers and get a whole bunch of stuff documented, which um, was very challenging as well. But, you know, I think those stories are really powerful when you when you think about businesses working with other businesses to create change and recognising that in order to have the change that I want to have, maybe I need to change my business, either I need to grow or I need to change what I do. Um, those sort of stories get, get me very excited because it just shows incredible passion and commitment of people to go beyond the ordinary challenges of just running a business. Andrew, if someone was starting to think about this, like are there kind of exemplars or, you know, what, where, where would, you know, apart from the B Corp website, like, you know, what's, what's a journey someone's going to go on to get to this point? You know, we're probably speaking to people who are, you know, already aware of B Corp or maybe are starting to, but, you know, in terms of, you know, B Corp sits in a suite of a whole other way of thinking and doing things. Like, you know, what, what, where would you start? What would you do? <clears throat> yeah, look, I think it, it, it's the same story of many things, which is think about where you choose to spend your money and, um, uh, you can find B Corps on our website, um, bcorporation.com.au, uh, where you choose to invest your money. Look for things like um, B Corp certified superannuation funds like Australian Ethical or Future Super. Um, but then if you're in a business yourself and you want to get certified, it really comes down to um, starting to educate yourself about the process and what changes you might have to make in your business. There's a great short course that we developed with Torrens University who are also B Corp certified. Um, they helped us put together a short course that you can find on our website that is a good way to really learn about the assessment before you necessarily start doing it and also hear from a bunch of Australian B Corps. So there's interviews with people like um, Abigail Forsyth from Keep Cup who, who tells a brilliant story about a business, her business that's been designed to solve a, a wicked problem and has been enormously successful um, in uh, cutting waste from disposable coffee cups. So that short course is a great place to go looking as well. Um, but ultimately, like any exercise, you've got to figure out the, the kind of why, you know, what's the value, why, why bother doing this? There might be a strong values alignment, but you are taking on an extra step or an extra process. And, and really, it's about then maybe pulling together a team of people internally and just talking about it. Hey, do we want to try and do this? Let's let's really expose ourselves and find out what are the good things about our business as judged by these standards? What are the things we need to improve on? And, and making that commitment to making the change is ultimately what underpins this. Doing the assessment might take you, if you really sat down and crunched through it, a few hours, but it's pretty hard work. You'll get bogged down. I'd, I'd encourage you to break it up over a few days. Took but me a few weekends to get through yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then I was answering how I wanted it to be, not how it was. <laughs> so then I had to go and do it again. Yeah, well, that's a that's a great great perspective. Yeah, just be brutal and honest, but not too harsh either. Because um, I think the the key message I'm trying to get to here is is doing the assessment is hard work. It takes a long time, and you've got to answer a heck of a lot of questions about your business. Really thinking about why you're doing it. Are we ready to do it? Maybe there's some other priorities. Maybe you can think about taking your business um, carbon neutral, as as Mon you said earlier. That's something that every business can do, and that's a step beyond making a commitment. It's to start to really think about um, removing carbon or even moving towards a carbon negative environment in business. And, you know, that might be the best thing to start with. So if you've got some obvious change projects that you already know you want to do, get on and do those and certification can come later. 
Yeah, can um, you can I, I basically I'm really interested in your perspective because like um all of these things seem hard and they take time and they can be expensive. Um, but it also seems like there's kind mm-hmm. of a bright glorious future as well as in the, a lot of the businesses you're talking about whether they're B certified or not actually you have like kind of opened up new niche markets and industries that are actually highly profitable and highly successful so like you know even just from a you know if you just took the kind of social environmental um, responsibility stuff off the table it actually just seems like it's a good thing to do for your business. Yeah, and I think this is, again, there's, there's a great piece. Um, McKinsey did some research. It's now a couple of years old, but really started to look at um, the idea of being sustainable two or three years ago was a sort of cost of business. You know, you did it because you were values aligned, but it was going to cost you more um, and it was going to make life a little bit harder. We're starting to see so much powerful evidence around um, reductions in green premiums. So sometimes the green solution is now the cheaper solution, not just in energy use, but we're seeing that through a whole range of different um, innovations in products that are actually making the green solution cheaper. We're also starting to see from a social perspective, real premium created in relationships from, from something like a B Corp certification. It doesn't have to be B Corp, but by having a really robust relationship with your customers and your suppliers, that pays dividends often in times of crisis. So we're starting to see some evidence around business resilience, particularly through the pandemic. Um, and importantly, we're seeing that as well through the actions of financiers. So Kathmandu, they're a certified B Corp. They just signed a, a $100 million sustainability-linked loan, a, a debt facility led by ANZ Bank out of New Zealand that um, rewards them or reduces their cost of credit um, through the retention of B Corp status and other sustainability initiatives. And what the bank is doing there is not just because they feel warm and fuzzy about B Corp. They're doing that because they recognise a really robust ESG framework actually reduces risk in a business, actually makes a business more resilient. Um, Mon, you spoke a little earlier about having to sort of document some things that maybe you hadn't needed to document before. And at the time you're doing it, it's a pain in the bum. That's work. Um, That's not client earning revenue work either. That's just extra work. But the reality is those policies and practices come into play at the times you need them most um, when when the business is going through change or challenge. Um, that That is what I talk about when I talk about resilience. It's about having mechanisms in the business that help insulate you or help improve the business in tough times. So I think that that, that big story is, is only just developing where we're starting to see, I think when you start to see the financiers really engage here and think about lending money on preferential terms, then you know something pretty significant is going on. You know, and I guess for you know for us, that documentation that we developed made it extremely easy for us to get our ISO nine thousand certification. And so um it really does translate across. And then I think also just a general sort of stepping up in professionalism for a small practice a small practice, moving into a medium scale work, doing civic projects, you know, uh, government schools, it really um, was one of the most valuable things I think we've we've ever done. So so awesome. And that's time. So I think we'll, we'll use this moment to to wrap up and just say thank you so much for joining us. This has been amazing. Well, look, it's it's such an important conversation. Thanks for for inviting me on and bringing the conversation, and and Mon for being such a passionate advocate. Um, for those who are listening and not able to see, Nick's done this whole conversation with his head under a jacket, which is so impressive. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, I've, got to, I've got to sort my room out. I'm actually kind of uh, I'm hyperventilating a bit here. Which is, you know, <laughs> I, th- I think it might be just because the, the conversation was so good. It, it probably was that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks again. And that's a wrap. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Wawawa have been called the Masters of Delight. To check out their colourful work, please visit wawawa.com.au and follow on Instagram at wawawaark. And Nick Brunson's responsive, inclusive and emotive projects can be seen at nickbrunson.com or on Instagram at the same name. Our intro and outro music is I'm Blessed from The Manifestation by Chris and Teeb. Until next time, Gert, signing off. Too blessed to be stressed. Put your faith to the test.